just a mind that there would be that fresh oil tonight. That fresh anointing that would come right from the very presence of the throne room of God. And that the words that we hear tonight will be words clothed with power of the Holy Spirit. We just ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. There's a man in the glory tonight. Seated in the highest throne. Father, just give us that revelation tonight of the King of Glory seated on that throne. Burn it into our hearts and consciousness, I pray, Lord. So that, Lord, as we leave here, Father, that is what we're fixated upon. That wonderful Savior and Lord of all. We live in unprecedented times, momentous times, dangerous times. But we need to know that there's a man in the glory that is over all and controls all. But we also need to know, brothers and sisters, tonight that he has a plan and purpose for you and I. And that much of the governing of the nations is in our remit. Amen? It's, it's our business. We're about the business of governance. Isn't that exciting? Isaiah chapter 60. This is where we're at right now. I believe Isaiah 60 runs concurrent with the fall of Babylon. But the fall of Babylon is imminent in there. But at the same time as there's great darkness, great despair, great destruction, there's a rising up of God's people in the kingdom. Arise, shine, for thy light has come, the glory of the Lord has risen upon thee. For behold, the darkness shall cover the earth and gross darkness the people. But the Lord shall arise upon thee and his glory shall be seen upon thee. And the nations shall come to thy light and kings to the brightness of thy rising. Now, I've always interpreted kings as being literal kings as well as, you know, prime ministers, presidents, those types of folks. But, you know, I'm, I'm revising that. And we'll look at that in a minute, in a wee while, why. If you've seen the, the stuff on Facebook and so on, and, and I did announce it, I think, last week. What I want to speak about tonight is a remarkable man with a remarkable ministry, a remarkable group of people from the 20th century, from the early days of Pentecost. A man called John McPhee, who wrote a book. In fact, it's in my wee box here. Should have had it out. Indeed it is, yes. The treasure box. It's a, it's a book called a brief outline of over 48 years' experience with the gifts of the Holy Spirit by the Reverend John McPhee. And it, it sounds as a long-winded title, but it's not really about that. It is. Uh, but what it's about is the prophetic destiny of Scotland and of Britain and of the nations. Revelations, visions, prophecies given to John McPhee and his loyal band of followers. They had a church in Glasgow. He, he, he was from Motherwell originally, I believe, I had a church in Glasgow, and I found out years later, I actually lived around the corner from it. Wow. Um, but I, I never went into it, and by that time he was long gone. But it, and he also had a place down in Skelmerley. And we're going to look at some of that tonight, but I'm going to give a bit, a bit of background first. A fascinating story. A number of years back, a good number of years back, I went in a second-hand bookshop in Paisley, and... I saw this book, I've got a nice fancy cover here, but I saw this book here, and I thought, oh, I'll have that, two pounds, that'll do me, looks quite good. And when I read it, I was absolutely blown away. One of the reasons I was blown away was because as I was reading it, 
there were some things that I recognized in my own, you know, stuff that God had been showing me. But it was like the, uh, uh, the book was inside me. I'm reading it on the page, but I thought to myself, this is so familiar to me. And then I, I believe this to be so that I believe the Lord showed me when I was a wee tiny, tiny boy, I was taken up to heaven. And I believe that's when God gave me the revelations that were in the book. But anyway, so I, I, I was blessed by the book and I used to write for a, a periodical, a Christian periodical. And I wrote a, an article, message, and I mentioned this book. I mentioned, the, not the book, I mentioned John McPhee. And the editor of the magazine got in touch with me and says, I've got this lady, Bill, who she's asking if the John McPhee you spoke about was her grandfather. She wants to know. Uh, can I give her your details? Cut a long story short, I met with the lady and indeed with her sister. Um, and it turns out that the John McPhee was her grandfather. Uh, and so she was so blessed that somebody... Now, what happened was he wrote this book... There was a series of books that he wrote in different, with two different editions. And he sent that out all over the world, but all over Britain. Sent it out to national leaders and so on. Um, and so I got to know, we got to know what we call them, the ladies we called them. Uh, this lady and her sister. And they were the granddaughters of John McPhee. Um, and they were the, sort of the last remaining remnant of the church that I was speaking about that he had. So, um, you know, they gave me some great background. They showed me a picture of John McPhee. He's a spitting image of Smith Wigglesworth. You know, that sort of a stern, you know, just let Bert's get his tie on tonight. This was a man who was, you know, starts calling and so on. We're going to make that mandatory, gents, that you wear a tie. I'm only kidding. Um, but he had this look about him of, you know, and they gave me a lot of background information on him. Um, and he, he was a, a pastor, and, and this is a fascinating thing, because he, at one stage, his church, he was the Scottish right-hand man of Pastor William Hutchinson, who was the founder of the Apostolic Faith Church. And it's believed that George Jeffreys received the baptism of the Holy Spirit through George Hutchinson's laying on of hands. Um, and indeed, if you go and study it out, as, as uh, some of our, our students of early Pentecost, you'll find that Pastor Hutchinson was, if you like, the, he's called the father of Pentecost in Britain. And from him came his ministry, came George Jeffreys, the Elam, Stephen Jeffreys, George's brother, who was AOG, and indeed, the Apostolic Church, which Steve and I were once part of, uh, D.P. Williams. So this man, Hutchison, was a pivotal man in early Pentecost. And John McPhee was his right-hand man, then did a fallout. But the interesting thing also, and I need to say this tonight, I said to, to David, I would mention it. Pastor William Hutchison received the baptism of the Spirit in the laying on of hands by Pastor Andrew Murdoch up in Kosaith. And it's believed that that assembly in Kosaith was the fountainhead or the hub of Pentecost way, way back. So we're, we're, we're connecting dots here in terms of history. And this is going way back into the days of early Pentecost in Britain. And it's exciting stuff. I, I, I find it exciting. So John McPhee was at the very heart of all that. And indeed, he speaks about that in his book. And speaking to his granddaughters, we got more information. And they, they started actually coming uh, to uh, the church of pastors at that time in Burnbank, the two ladies, as we called them. And they were, they were, they were lovely. And uh, we're just so blessed to know them. And I'd been to uh, Jesse's house, sorry, Molly's house. I'd been to Molly's house. Um, and you know, got to know them and so on. But one day she says to me, she says, could you come to my house, Bill? I need to speak to you about something. So I went along, and, and she and her sister were there, Molly and Jessie. And they started asking me all these questions. And I knew that they knew some of the answers to these questions, but it was almost like they had this list of questions they had to ask me. 
and, and even stuff that they knew, but others, uh, they were probing. So I answered all these questions, I didn't mind because, you know, they were lovely, lovely ladies. And then at the end, they, they just looked at each other and sort of nodded, and that was it. And Molly says, I need to get through to the bedroom for something. Can you wait there? I said, well, of course. So she comes back with three sheets of paper. And she says, this is, we believe, for you. It turned out to be a transcript of a prophecy given by John McPhee's brother, Richard, 100 years ago this year, 1920. You'll remember that year, Bert. <laughs> 1920. She said, I've been holding on to this for years. She says, we believe that the prophecy is about you and your ministry. But beyond that, other things. And we've been holding on to this for, for years. She said, we always believed in the church when it was going, my grandfather's time, that you would come through the door. And to be honest, that would have been hard because I think he, 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 he was gone by the time I was born. But they always believed that, she said. And she said, but when the church wound down, because they all get old and passed on, she said, they handed me this, the ones that were left, the elders, whatever, and says, we believe you're going to meet this man one day. And this word is for him. So we're entrusting it in your care. This is what she said. I'm sitting. I said, oh, that's great. And she says, you've no idea the many nights that I've been lying in my bed in this house and been attacked by the devil in most horrific ways because, and I knew it was because I was holding this word. She says, so I'm glad to be. And that's what I really want to speak about tonight. Uh, I want to speak a little bit about John McPhee's book, and I want to speak a little bit about that 100-year-old prophecy or vision. And it, was, uh, it says at the beginning of it, we are sending this vision forth as a teaching, for in it lies the whole plan of God for the last days. And it says, as you go on and read it, I don't have time to read it out to you. But the whole point of the vision was that God's plan and purpose for the last days, Scotland was at the very heart, central and prominent to God's purpose in the earth. That's our witness, isn't it? That's what I read from Jean Darnall's word. That's what I read in the prophecies of Peden and the Covenanters. Scotland to play a very central role. The Scotland, or the church in Scotland, not the church of Scotland, but the church in Scotland that we know, let's be honest, it's not very powerful, is it? It's not very, it's not very big. It has no influence. When we're watching these protocols by the government, we're not even mentioned. So you've got to actually go and find out what, what, what's, what's happening in the church. A hundred years ago, the very first thing that it says was, this is how these protocols will affect your church going. And that's all part of the prophetic message as well from the covenanters that the church would become very, very low in Scotland. But this vision, and indeed uh, Pedans and Camerons, is that God would rise, raise up His church again in all its grandeur and stateliness and become the mighty force on earth that it's meant to be. And in fact, as John McPhee says would lead the nations. Scotland is what this prophecy is all about. And he speaks about the man-child coming forth, the man-child company, the company of overcomers, the end time, Benjamin company, Joseph company, all, all the different names that we give it will begin in Scotland. I don't look to America, do you? I love the American saints, I love the American church, I know loads of folks over there, mighty men and women of God, but I don't look to 
the American church or American Christians or American leaders, I look to, well, I look to the Lord, but I, but I believe that we've followed other countries, nations, or people from other nations way too long. And it's not that we get arrogant and say, oh, we're Scottish, we, you know, was like us. But we say, Father, we thank you that here in Scotland, God is going to raise up his work. He's going to raise up his ecclesia. We're not calling it church anymore, folks, because church in many ways is an old wineskin concept. We all have our idea of church, church, church. But the Greek word is ecclesia, and it doesn't mean a holy huddle where we have four hymns and say a few prayers, and then somebody gives a message. It means governmental assembly, the place where governance takes place. It's a whole new paradigm. And uh, it's very much spoken about in, in the John McPhee uh, book. But I'm going back to the vision here. It speaks about a man-child that would come forth from the heavens above Scotland. It's very, very powerful but, and symbolic language. And, I, and I'm not... I don't mean this in an arrogant way, but you need to read it spiritually. The fact he says you need to understand what's literal and what's spiritual. But the man-child, which is God's end-time overcoming army, all these different terms, the ecclesia of God, his government, and his ecclesia, his church stepping into that role that they have. Like Bert spoke about, and you've maybe read in the old Paul Bilmheimer book, Destined for the Throne, Throne Life, Throne Living, Throne Ruling and Reigning, would all start in Scotland. That's what the prophetic message was. And then that prophecy speaks about the ecclesia of God went up to heaven. Again, symbolic language. That's what we're doing here on a Friday night, isn't it? We're entering beyond the veil. Now we're seated here in Gamgad, <laughs> the, the least likely place in the natural. You know, Garengad is the butt, isn't it, of jokes. If you're, in, if you're in from Glasgow and you speak about somebody, you know, they say, oh, they live in Milgai, but I bet you they came for the Garengad. Or they say they live in Bears Den, but really they're for the Gam Gad. Uh, somebody's laughing because they, they know it's true. But you know, God's doing a work here, I believe. In the lowliest place. Sorry, Jim, but I, I, more lowlier even than Springburn. Amen. Springburn's posh. Springburn's like bear's den compared to Gam Gad. The prophecy speaks about the stone which is Ecclesia and also I believe it's speaking about the stone of destiny. It's all about Scotland. The prophetic word, again I'm not going to read it all out to you, it's just too long. But he's talking about God doing a work at this time. A little band of people. That's what the prophecy mentions more than once. There's a little band of people that pull the man-child out of heaven. And the man-child, they become, if you like, the man-child. They become the man-child. They embody the man-child. And we're not, we're not bigging ourselves up here. None of us is worthy for these things. The man-child goes up to the throne. And the man-child descends down. It's all symbolic language. And the little band of people keep rising up. What's the name of this? Arise Scotland. The rising ecclesia. What are we rising up to? We're arising up to God's purpose for us and destiny for us. As his ecclesia in the earth. I'm not saying it's... It's just here. I believe God is raise, rising, raising up people across the nations who say church as usual is not for us, business as usual is not for us. It's time to enter into God's destiny 
for his people. And that destiny is, as we call it, the man-child, as, as Scripture calls it. And it speaks about an angel saying, Babylon has fallen, has fallen, which is scriptural. The kingdom of God has been set up upon the earth. And it's all based on Scotland. This little band of people would be used by God to cleanse and reform the establishment, which is those who govern us. And the number one thing that we faced tonight, brothers and sisters, the number one problem or issue, I believe, and I've said it before, is wicked, corrupt government. Not just in Scotland. It's not government bashing or SNP bashing. The problem that we have here in Scotland and in Britain is that we're governed by globalists. People with a globalist agenda, and I'll say that about the SNP. The front is independence, but the reality is it's globalism. They want to plug us into Leviathan, Babylon, New World Order, whatever you want to call it. There's certainly many biblical phrases, I just used a couple, Babylon. They don't want Scotland or Britain to be a holy nation set apart unto God, but to be plugged into mystery Babylon. And it doesn't matter what party it is, SNP, Labour, Lib Dem, they're, they're all the same. Just different, different shades. Different expressions. Now, I'm not saying that within these parties there aren't people with a genuine heart, but really, if, if, if in this present world with, with politics, that's what you get. The globalist agenda and people who are globalists rising to the top and bringing in that agenda. Very often incentivized by cash or promise of power or whatever. We're not going to do all that. We're not going to talk about that tonight. I really want to talk about the solution, which I believe comes in this wonderful book and from this prophetic word, because this prophetic word speaks about the end time move of God that will destroy Babylon and the earth and, and, and wipe out all that wicked, uh, corrupt power and cause that Scotland Britain and indeed the nations, the sheep nations of the earth would be free from this despotic Babylonian Leviathan power. So that's what we're about. That's why, we, that's why we're assembling on a Friday night. That's why we're about this business of Arise Scotland. And John McPhee had, and his people, they had some remarkable visions. Um, and, and the thing about it is some of the, th the things that they, they saw, they, they, didn't, they didn't borrow. You know, they weren't, it wasn't a case that they got taught because they read so, so many books for other people or, or borrow ideas. They got it all by revelation. They got it all by revelation. One of the revelations that, that, that they had, and I, I want to share this. This, is, this was on my heart to share. It's right at the very start. Let me just read this to you. Because this is so important. We live in the land of the covenanters, don't we? And, you know, we, we're rightly, we, we, we rejoice in that heritage. But, you know, when you speak about people dying for their faith in Scotland, having to meet in clandestine, hidden locations, because they could be murdered just for meeting you think, well, aren't we glad that's so long ago? Yeah, it was. But who would have thought a year ago that you'd have a situation in Scotland where you might to have church, might have to meet in an underground secret way? Okay, tonight we don't have to do that here. But let's face it, that I, know, I know people who've met during the lockdown in that manner. That spirit of persecution. And what happened back then was that it produced the covenanters. What will happen if, it, if persecution comes again? I'll tell you, John McPhee prophesied it. Covenanters will rise again. 
And he speaks about that. A, a, a band of covenanting people. But let me just read what he says here. This is so important. He says, So as the Lord raised up the covenanters to take away the testimony from our royal house. Because remember, the covenanters were in this confrontation with the house of Stuart, with the royal house, because they made covenant with Charles II. Charles II signed the covenant, then reneged on the covenant and started to murder him. That's why the killing times. So he's saying that God took away the testimony from the royal house. And he gave it to the covenanters. Watch look what he says. This is a prophetic word. He says, So sure will there be a band of covenanters raised up in these latter days to carry the testimony which is the spirit of prophecy back to our royal house. And, and as you read the book, and again, I don't have time to read the whole book to you, so I'm just summarizing some key thoughts. John McPhee believed that in these last days there would be a mighty cleansing of the royal house in Britain of the throne of the royal family and that they would they would be sold out to Jesus because of course first Timothy chapter 2 pray for kings and for all those who are in authority that we may lead a quiet and peaceable life in all godliness and reverence if you want the life of peace and you know some of us remember what it used to be like when we were younger. When, when it was, I mean, when it was safe to walk the streets. We, we'd run in battles out there tonight, didn't we? Although, to be honest, it's always that in, in this area. And in the past, it's probably been a lot worse. But we're speaking about peace. Has there been peace in our land in the last wee while? Do you remember the last time we had peace? Peace is the fruit of righteous government. When you have godly order and righteous government in the land, peace is the outcome. That's why Jesus is called the Prince of Peace and of the increase of his government and peace. There shall be no end. In other words, it just keeps going and going and getting stronger and stronger. That's how things are meant to be. That's divine order. But we settle for what we have because we don't understand our role as God's ecclesia in the earth. Our job is to bring peace. How do we do that? By doing what God's word says, praying for kings and those who are in authority. And if there isn't peace in the land, here's the clue. We're not praying enough. We're not praying effectively enough. So we have to have this revelation. And the revelation they had was, was quite amazing. I don't want to read it out because it takes quite a while. But basically, what it meant was, and this is what we were speaking about earlier before we came to the meeting. He believed, they believed the answer was for a royal house to have a mighty cleansing. And that our monarch and all the royal family would be born again Spirit-filled, tongue-talking, Bible-believing, devil-stomping, sold-out Jesus freaks. Didn't use that language. I'm, I'm bringing it up to date. I'm bringing it to the 21st century. But what he was basically saying was, the answer is, as if, if, if a royal family gets saved, and he believed in the last days that's what would happen. And, of course, we could extend that to the Prime Minister's office and the other offices of state. What happens if, if there was a mighty revival among our leaders, among our government, from the very top down? Remember that the Queen is the only leader or ruler in Britain who's anointed to lead. All the rest are elected or appointed. But she alone is anointed. And so he called it the king within the king, and they had visions of this, that they would see, um, they would have visions of the king, and I think they had that quite a, quite a lot, and within, they, they, they would, it would be, uh, they would see the father, they would see Jesus, 
just, in other words, just like us, Christ in, in you, the hope of glory. Thou in me, and I, and I in thee. Sorry, I forgot that rhymed the wrong way. <laughs> I in thee, and thou in me. Same thing. And it's so simple. Oh, that's just too simplistic. That will never work. Really? Work for King David. Work for righteous kings of Judah. And, and remember that when there was a righteous king on the throne, what the Bible would say, a good king, and there was none in, in, in the northern house of Israel, there was a few scattered throughout the reign of kings in Judah. And there was blessing in the land. Because when you have a dud king, or a wicked king, or a carnal, selfish king, and it's been proven in history as well as in the Bible, the nation suffers. And we could say in our day with, with prime ministers and presidents and first ministers and so on, if, if that person is not a person who, who relates to God the way they should, the nation will suffer. Doesn't matter how, how much they love the nation or how well-meaning their intentions are. You need a born-again, spirit-filled, sold out to Jesus just you, that's what we need leading us. And we talk about Trump being a Cyrus and so on. We, we don't need Cyruses. We need Davids. We need a Davidic shepherd on the throne of Britain. That's what we need. A shepherd king. And so it's so vital that we pray. You say, I, 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 don't, I don't pray. I don't believe in the monarchy. I, 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 it doesn't matter what you believe. It doesn't matter what you believe. Pray for kings and for all those in authority. So, so this, the big, big central part of this was, and, and that's what he says here at the very beginning of this book, he says, God's going to take the testimony that for over 300 years now has been with the covenanters and the last day's band of covenanting people. In other words, people of the same spirit who walk in the same anointing, who, who, who maybe face the same enemies, who try to silence and suppress and oppress the work and move of God. They're going to take the testimony back. And that's what the, pro the prophecy speaks about as well. That the man-child company will bring to those who govern us the message of God's ecclesia and his purpose in the earth. And they will embrace it and say, we're running. That's our program now. That's our policy. And, and he goes on to say spectacular things that as a result of this, politics excel, itself will be, will be removed from our midst because we don't need people with differing and opposing ideas. Think about that society, brothers and sisters, where you don't need to vote to improve the nation because our leaders are already obeying God's word. We, we've had it briefly in our nation. We've had it briefly in Scotland, a little bit with the Covenanters before the killing time. The English certainly had it with uh, the Puritans for a brief period in history. And you go back into Celtic times, you, you could see it then through the Celtic saints who were governing nations just by being apostles and prophets in the land. And kings would come to the brightness of their rival. You notice here in Isaiah chapter 60, it doesn't say politicians will come, prime ministers will come, the secretary of state will come. I think there's, I think there's a clue there. Can you and I believe, I think I mentioned this last week, for a Britain, for a Scotland, that, that is so changed, so transformed by God's ecclesia, that, that the whole culture and way that we do society, is, we, we don't need that anymore. That old wineskin. See, we talk about old wineskin, new wineskin. It doesn't just apply to church. It applies to society. See, when the church gets it right, in the church, 
The impact in society is huge. When John Knox came back to Scotland, the last 10 years and the Reformation actually took root and, and grew. Look at the impact it had on the nation. Because a nation will always follow, the state of the nation will always follow the state of the church. God set it up that way, that the ecclesia of God is the barometer of a nation. And let's be honest, that's why we're in a mess. That's why we're in a mess. Because the church is nowhere near where it should be. And that was prophesied. Peden in particular prophesied about the church would become so low that you'd hunt throughout the land and wouldn't find a man who could give you the authentic word of God. Uh, it's interesting. Uh, reading through, the, I mean, I, I used to read this book a lot and I'd reading through it again just to bring this message and one of the things that struck me was that this is written way back decades ago. But he says that the, the the enemy we face will be effectively Marxism and communism. Isn't it cultural Marxism that we're up against today? All the ideas of all the isms, socialism, communism, humanism, uh, feminism, all the isms. In the Old Testament, it was the Ites, wasn't it? The Hittites, the Amalekites, they were the enemies of Israel. But in today's world, in Britain today, it's the isms. In Scotland today, the tribes that oppose us are isms. But it's all about cultural Marxism. And he speaks about that. Remember, this is written decades ago. This prophetic message, as I said, that I'm speaking about was a hundred years ago this December. So he, he says this. I'm, just going to, I'm going to read a couple of things that are quite short. And you'll see what I'm talking about here, how prophetic it is. And how he describes how things are in our very generation. It says here, the choice, this is the choice of, of people, individuals and the nation. Our decision will then be for God and the house of David or for the beast and a brutal dictatorship. As we look at the way that governments have responded to the COVID thing, we see more and more Scotland and Britain in the grip of dictatorship, don't we? Tyranny. Yes, safety protocols, of course, they're important. But when it goes beyond that, to being an, effectively a suppression and oppression, a clampdown, it's dictatorship. So we need to make the decision. You say, well, we've made that decision. We're Christians. We, we know. But John McPhee basically taught that every person must make that decision. And we're coming to that place. Here's another thing he said. I'll just read this out. The great world need of today is in this wonderful language. The great world need of today is for Britain to take a new step Godwards. Confessing our sins as individuals, nations, and as an empire, I wrote that back a number of years ago. And thus placing ourselves in a position where God can help us. And John McPhee believed that the, the British throne was the throne of David. He believed that the, the monarchs as many people do, were descended from uh, the Davidic line and dynasty. So it was, it was an important thing for him, an emphasis for him. And then he says here in another place, in fact, here's what he says, listen to this. Now he's talking years ago, so we, we can understand there's different language, language we are not necessarily, because he speaks about the British Empire a lot. This was in the days when the empire was still a thing. Some of you remember that. Not looking at anybody. The work of the British Empire will be to lead the nations. 
to God through practice instead of precept that his will might be carried out in their midst, but first setting their own house in order. How true is that? He says, the spiritual struggle that is taking place at present is for the possession and rule of mankind. That evil power, the beast, desires to bring it into bondage all mankind in and through the body of a brutal dictator, while on the other hand, God our Heavenly Father with our consent desires that our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ in and through the body of a king of the house of David should set all mankind free from oppression and sorrow. You see, if you're the ecclesia of God, Christ is in you. The king is in you. The high priest is in you of the Melchizedek priesthood. And so when you make decrees beyond the veil in the heavenlies, it's Christ in you that's making those decrees, isn't it? And think about the power of this because God has set up, we live in a kingdom. But I believe it applies to the presidents and, 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 and countries where they don't have a king. We're actually blessed to have a, a, a monarchy. But wherever there are national leaders, what, what John McPhee is saying is, is that if somebody has Christ in them, who co like we're talking about cooperating with heaven, being seated in the heavenly places, but think of the power if tonight, let's just put it in a way you'll understand. What if Nicola Sturgeon walked through that door and said, I need to learn how to rule from the heavenlies? And the first step, of course, is get born again, filled with the Spirit. And it wasn't Nicola Sturgeon that goes into Holyrood on Monday morning. Praise the Lord. Anyway, amen. But it was Christ and Nicola Sturgeon. Amen. Just the same with you and I. What if, what if it wasn't you that went into your work on Monday morning? but it was you on fire for Jesus, Christ in you, the hope of glory, the, the flame of fire above your head, walking in as God's man or God's woman. Think of the impact on your place of work. Well, think of the impact on hers. Imagine a first minister, the nightly coronavirus update, well, let's just take authority right now before we begin talking about what the latest figures. Let's just take authority over this coronavirus. Would all you saints out there agree with me that in the name of Jesus we bind this virus, a foul thing from the pit of hell. And we declare Jesus as Lord over Scotland. Amen. I'll have some of that, will you? And that's what John McPhee was talking about. But he wasn't just saying, wouldn't it be a great idea? Because it's a great idea. But he's saying that, that and they, they saw this in vision for our time. They saw that a little band of people would, would, would rise up. And I have to say to you again, I'm, I don't have the details, but in that prophetic vision, I believe, because it's very symbolic language, but I believe he was describing things that are in this room and people that are in this room. That's electrifying. That's electrifying that 100 years ago, he saw a little band of people who would basically pull the man-child out of heaven, bring it to earth, would walk in that, and see Scotland blessed and it touching the king and, and every aspect of our state and apparatus. That's what he saw. That's what he described. And it was a, a little lowly band of people that it, that it came through. Now, I just want to say this. If it's not us, I don't care. But let it be somebody. And I believe it's, it, it's even a challenge. Says, Will you be that band of people? Will you be the ecclesia? Will you be the ones that say, Lord, it's time for that. It has 100 years. And if we're not going to, you know, if not us, Who? Praise the Lord. And then he says, he speaks about the decision that people have to make. In fact, I've asked this, so I, I really need to, to read this. But what he's talking about is that kings rule 
by Christ within. That's, that's God's pattern. You know, that's what God, you know, Bert's been speaking to us quite a lot about, uh, privately and among the leaders, about Psalm 110. David, a man who lived a thousand years before Christ, who is, I mean, David is just the most amazing Bible character, central to the Bible story, so much so God made him a patriarch. God made David, he calls it the patriarch David. God gave David the same promises he gave Abraham that he'd, multi he'd have multiplied uncountable seed. And that's a whole other message, royal priesthood, a holy nation, the seed of David, both physically and spiritually sown amongst God's people. What did God do to David to elevate his throne, to make David an, the undisputed or to bless David? Psalm 89, go read it. Um, Psalm 72, Psalm's about the Davidic throne. And if, just John McFree's correct, if that applies to Britain, if we are descended from the house of David, which I believe we are. But you don't need to believe that. This is a principle. You don't need to go that far if you don't want to, but it is a principle. What did God say to David? Show David. What did God do to David that made him the King David today that we love? Here's what he did. He gave him a revelation of Jesus at the right hand of God the Father, Yahweh in heaven. He said, Yahweh said, the Lord, capitals Yahweh said, to my Lord Adonai, what did David say? I'm the king of Israel and Jesus is my Lord. Even in the Old Testament they're walking in this, the key of David, which is the lordship of Christ is what leaders must acknowledge and cooperate with and align with to govern effectively and righteously and with the blessing of God. He said, the Lord said to my Lord, or Yahweh said to my Lord, sit at my right hand. So I'll make your enemies your footstool. That's how David was blessed to be the king because God gave him a revelation and said, this one at the right hand, a thousand years before Jesus walked the earth, David had a revelation of the Lord of glory at the right hand of God the Father, Yahweh. And that revelation was what David built his kingdom upon and handed it on to Solomon, the very apex of the old covenant era. Solomon received it, the man of peace. David, his hands were, were, were bloody because he was a man of war. But that revelation built up his kingdom and he passed it on to Solomon. The revelation of the Lordship of Christ, brothers and sisters, is what every national leader lead, needs. And it's your job and mine to pray that they get it. Ah, we pray for our leaders, Lord. Bless them. Oh, Lord. That stuff needs to go. That's what we're talking about, ruling and reigning from the heavenlies. We will not rest until we have such a leader, Lord, such a national ruler. We want one in Buckingham Palace. We want one in 10 Downing Street. We want one in Butte House. We will not rest. We decree and declare that of the increase of Christ's government and peace in Scotland, there will be no end. And that has to come partly through our national leaders. But it means that you and I are co-regents with Christ in causing that to happen. So we're the check and balance. Just like the covenanters were. And they, and they got attacked for it. We're the check and balance that if we have wicked rulers, we, we, we're the ones that go into the throne room and say, Lord, let's sort this out. And what do we do when we get into the throne room with speaking about wicked rulers? We encounter a laughing God. We, we, we become a laughing company. Because it, it's easy for that instinct in us to say, oh, what do we need to pray? Oh, Lord. I may panic and get fearful, but you know, when we get into the throne room, God is laughing and has in derision those, and he says, come and sit here and have a laugh. 
You see, the hardest thing to do is sit. Can you see a need? Am I right? But it's the very thing God is calling us to please about. Be seated with me. Sit at rest. And it's not sit back and watch what I'll do. It's not that. It's not a passive pose that we take. He says, now, let's learn. I'll show you how to do this properly. All that begging and squalling and bawling that you're doing in there. Come up here. Come up hither. Come on. Sit there. Sit at my right hand. Sit, sit with Jesus. And I'll show you how to govern the nations. I believe that's what God is saying to us in these meetings. And to the church at this time, or to the to the ecclesia, because a lot of people in the old ways, oh no, they're, they're still begging, bawling, swallowing, praying, fasting. And if God leads you to do those things, great. But we're talking here about this new wineskin where God is saying, a new paradigm, whatever you want to call it. God is saying. And John McPhee and his little band, they saw it. Reese Howell saw it. They had the same experiences as Reese Howell because it was through the water of the Second World War. And God was showing them things that would happen and to pray into it, to speak it out, to speak the destruction of Nazi Germany. To decree from the heavenly places. Not, oh Lord, what are we going to do? Oh, do something. No, no, no. Decree God's will. You know, we think, oh, we're not inventing this stuff. Are we? We're not, we're not making, we're not, oh, well, let's, it's not a cult that we're coming up with new ideas. But these men went before and pioneered the way. So kings rule by Christ within. There's a passage, in, uh, and, and because they believed that the British throne was the, and, and I don't care if you believe that or not, well, I do, but you don't have to. Again, it's a principle. We take principles from God's word. He speaks in Zechariah about a fountain being opened to the house of David and cleansing. So even if you don't believe the British thrones descended from the house of David, you don't have to. You can. I would say maybe you should. Well, not maybe. The point I'm making is take the principle and say, Father, send a fountain of cleansing among all our national rulers. Let a fountain open up so that we have a cleansed parliament, a cleansed monarchy. No more talking about Prince Andy and all his ways and Harry and all that. Lord, give us godly men and women in our royal house. Give us godly leaders. Remove the wicked in our parliaments and councils. As I said, the wonder of it, the beauty of it, the glory of it, it's not that these were suggestions that these folks made. And by the way, they were attacked for this, this revelation. It was a prophetic vision of what was to come. And I believe we're at that time. I believe it ties in with Gene Darnall's vision and the Covenanters' prophetic words. Um, John Brown Hardy, all these people in the past who prophesied about this time we live in. And we will either just say, well, just, well, uh, it's, it's too much hassle. Or we'll say, amen, all the way, Lord. I'm part of this. You're raising up and I'm part of it. I'm drawing you a close. You might be pleased to hear. And there's so much, I, I could have gone into a lot more detail. Maybe another time I might do that because there is a lot of detail to this. I, I'm just giving you broad strokes and uh, I, I feel in a sense I'm cheating you because some of the things this guy said and those people saw would blow your mind. And like I said, that hundred year prophecy, I believe if you read it and, and see it, I believe he's talking about what we're about right now. There are things I believe even in this room that he describes in it. I won't get into all what they are right now. No. <laughs> because we don't have time. But the point I'm trying to make out is this. Are we going to believe what these people of old believed? Are we going to walk in their steps? Oh, it's great to walk in the steps of our forebears in the Lord. And, and that, that's great. But are, are, we, are we going to do it? Or just talk about them? A lot of us just talk about it, don't we? Yeah, I hear a lot of people praying for revival. 
And really all they're doing is wanting you to see that they're praying for revival. But, you, but if revival came, they'd run a mile. And one of the reasons people would run a mile is they might not like the person who brings revival to them, the instrument that God uses. You know, if, some, if, if someone you didn't like, what you, the God said to you, stick with them, that's the person who's going to bring revival. That's, my hand is upon them. And you didn't like them. They're right away is that challenge, isn't it? But we're in that place tonight, I believe, where God, again, every week is a response. What, what will we respond? Some of you have been coming here week after week. So that in itself is a response. The faithfulness to come. Give up your Friday night. But you know, none of us should view giving up the Friday night or anything because this is glory. And whatever you trade for it, it's a bauble, isn't it? We want to receive the glory. We want to walk in the glory. But it's not just so that we can have feel-good meetings and happy clappy times or even full church, all the things that, that, we, that we envisage as revival being. You know, God doesn't need to do this with a people. He can do it with one person. He, 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 Solomon prayed, if one man, if one man turns to you, bless the nation or uh, save the nation. So God doesn't need numbers. But I do believe that it, it's a wonderful thing if more of it is. Many are called, but few are cho chosen. And chosen doesn't mean that it's a sovereignty issue or God chooses Ruth, but he doesn't choose Stevie. What it means is that you position yourself to be chosen. Because chosen ones are, the, are overcomers. Chosen ones are ones who put themselves in the place who say, I'll respond to that. I don't know much about this John McPhee guy that Bill's talking about, but I know I want to be among that happy band, that little band. Whatever, the, 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 the people that God uses to bring this about. I don't think he's ever going to do it through a mega church. Not that we have many of them in, <laughs> in Britain. So it's going to have to be a small band, isn't it? Especially at this time. Okay, Lord, let's just bow our heads and pray and commit ourselves to the Lord and I'll hand it over to the guys. Father, we just want to lift our hearts and respond to you with this. We want to be that people. Lord, if, if that prophetic word that, that I've mentioned here tonight, if that is what we're about here tonight, and even if it isn't, let us be it. Let us be people at this time. You know, we're not trying to whip things up we're not trying to make things happen. We're not trying to, Lord, manipulate people. Father, you know that. Each one of us comes as broken, needy people in you. We, we, Lord, the one thing we all need tonight is more of you. That's the one thing we need, Father. Every one of us, no matter where our walk with you, Father, we need more. We desire more. We cry out for more. We cry out for deeper, greater revelation to be taken Lord, and we do it by faith, but Lord, we want it. We, there's things we want to know and see and be about with you and in you, through you, Lord, and you through us, to be the people of God in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation. But not just, Lord, uh, accepting that, but Father saying, make us agents of transformation, that Britain will change, that Scotland will change that Glasgow will change, that Cowdenbeath will change, that Hamilton will change, that Kilsyth will change. All the places where people are from tonight will change, transform into communities, Father, where you are glorified and honored and your presence is felt. Engulf this land of Scotland tonight with the fire and glory of God and never let it depart, we pray, Lord. In Jesus' holy name we ask it.